What a wonderful song. I tell you, every time we sing that song, I'm just thinking of all the theological realities and connections that are tied to what we just sang. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. I was also thinking there, no guilt in life. And one of the first thoughts that came to my mind was, well, we can feel pretty guilty sometimes, even as believers. And part of the reason for the reminder that we need all the time of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on that cross is evident by his own command that we remember his death because we need to be reminded and reminded and reminded of the realities that he's called us to when this tension, this life, this reality before reality, while we walk by faith and not by sight. But we do need to choose to stand in his power and his strength and on what we know to be true. We're going to be looking at John 3.16 today. Uh, and specifically, we're focused on the John 3.16 gospel. And if you have your notes with you this morning, you notice on the back that you have uh, that overall series of our Salt and Light series where we're taking a look at uh, Jesus' command that we let our light shine. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Not because of anything we are in and of ourselves, but because of what God has made us to be and what he's called us to be. And so a part of all of this, we talked about eternal investments last week. Where are we investing? Where is our treasure? What does the word say about the treasure he's given to us? And so today, of all days, there's no better day than to reflect on the greatest treasure that's been given to us, and that is the gospel. We remember the cost of that gospel as we remember the Lord's table this morning. We also saw a picture of what that gospel does as those that look to live for him, commit to what he said here in baptism this morning. What a better day than to look at this gospel. But I just want to say before we get into this, there's not enough time to really talk about this in detail. (laughs) And even printing off the notes this morning, I was reminded we need to be very careful to use our time wisely. We'll look to do that. But as we look at this, I turn your attention in John chapter 3, and you can turn there as we read verses 16 through 18 this morning. The realities of this I'm sure we're familiar with, but we'll talk about hopefully the application and maybe some of the substance as well. Let's start in verse 16, one I'm sure we know. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let's let's pray this morning as we come to this text. Heavenly Father, we come before you as a needy people, even as a broken people, though you have made us to be what we once weren't. We are still growing, and you have allowed us this process of growth that our faith and our trust would be shown not only in its increase, but also in its genuineness as it's your work in us that allows us to stand, that is at work in our lives convincing us even of these things to be true. And so as we come before you today, Lord, I pray your spirit would continue this work. I pray that our faith and our trust would continue to grow. Our understanding of you would be increased. I pray that you would continue to open our eyes that we might see not only you, but areas of our own life that you would call us to bring in line what your truth has shared with us, even through your word today. 
And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We humble ourselves before your word and pray you would be at work in it. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at John 3.16, I mean, where, where, would we, where would we start? Where would we stop with the great gospel? Even just this one verse, I'm convinced it would be at least a few messages. But we're going to stay focused. And the reality is, the central truth this morning is that God has secured forever for me in Christ. We looked at last week, forever investments. Well, that's great. I mean, I hope it's sure. I hope it's secure. But on what basis? You know, the whole prove it. Why? How? How does this work? Well, the Bible tells us it works because God has secured it in Christ forever for me. And when I say for me, that's with the understanding that you've placed your faith in Christ. If you're here this morning and you aren't truly looking to the Lord wholly for your salvation, knowing that he is the one who took your place on that cross and, and asked him to forgive you, then you are not that me. I hope you are. I hope each one of you are. And we're going to address this as though we are. But if you are truly in Christ, he has secured forever. This is already done. This is something that he has done. We cannot save ourselves. So I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm sure you're familiar with this. It's a beautiful passage. Actually, the whole first uh, section of 2 Corinthians is very moving as Paul shares a bit of himself, even looking to comfort, even through hardship and, and through the realities of the Christian walk. We find ourselves in, in verse 4, in our chapter 4 and verse 6, reminding us that he is the one who said, let the light shine out of darkness. The one who created all. He is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we talked about this last week. What a wonderful truth to know that he is the one. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that he is the one who has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And the world is very dark. Our souls are very dark. Apart from him, our future is very dark. He has delivered us from darkness and transferred us into the kingdom, into the rule, into the future, into the justice and righteousness and blessing of his beloved son in whom we have forgiveness, in whom we have redemption. This is what God has done for us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about this wonderful treasure in verse 7. He goes on to say, we have this treasure. What is that? The light that he's caused to shine, the knowledge of him, the knowledge of the glory of God, a relationship before the very face of Christ Jesus. This is a treasure. And we have this treasure, though, in this weakened vessel, these jars of clay. And we might sit here feeling crushed. We may sit here feeling guilty. We may sit here in a dark world not feeling very filled with light at times. But there's a purpose, and it's to show the surpassing power belongs to him. It's always been about him. You know, if there's a way we get this wrong, this Christian life wrong, as we start out with a full trust in him in that moment, and then we take more and more back onto ourselves. That's why we need these reminders. It's always of him. He secured it. It is finished. And we stand in that. Goes on, of course, we know how we're afflicted in every way, persecuted, but not perplexed. We may be grieving, 
but we're not in despair. There's a hope that drives us to the center of our being that pierces through any of those dark moments as we look to him. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Having this treasure, there's an implication that we share it. If he says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, we talked about this last week, and if this is our treasure, how are we investing that? So one of the purposes this morning, even with your notes, is that if there was one moment that you had to share this treasure with somebody else, one moment to share the hope that God has given to you with someone who doesn't know that hope, they look at your life and say, how does this work for you? I, I see you're struggling with the same things the rest of us do, but you're different. How are you different? That's the light part, right? Investing that treasure, you can turn to John 3.16, the most widely known verse of the whole Bible. I'm sure most of us all have it memorized. How would you share that with somebody? And so if it's any help for you, I gave you at least that outline there. There's hope. There's real hope. And if I'm going to share the hope that God has given to me, this is how, and you can follow it there. John 3.16, it's all right there. So hopefully we can unpack that. But this morning, as we think through investing in others, how is it, and this really kind of dominated some of my, my, my thoughts these past couple weeks on this, how is it that believing in Christ really changes my life? How is that? And not to get too deep into the weeds, but if you've walked with God long enough, you know it's sometimes very difficult. How has it really changed my life? Maybe it hasn't been difficult for you. More than likely it has. Maybe we're just coasting. If you're here today and we talked about investments and we talked about salt and light and you're thinking, I don't think I'm investing at all. I don't know if I am this. These are the times to get this right. Has Christ, has believing in Christ truly changed your life? You give a confession, I'm a Christian. How does that impacted your life and your choices? For most of us, I think the reality is we keep coming back to the same truth. We have to live in that. He has finished it. There is a difference in my life. There's a difference in how I share my life, and by God's grace, I'm growing in all of that. You know, the real heart of all of this is the difference between hope, a real hope, not a fantasy hope, not a false hope, but a real hope versus hopelessness. You see, the problem with us is that we can only be distracted enough and long enough we can only be walking in false hopes for a time before the reality of what lay in the future comes and knocks on the door what lay in the future comes and knocks on the door and this world has no hope we talked a little bit about that last week as well and as we think about this just even in the news i'm reminded of the hopelessness as we saw mulan star coco lee having taken her own life this past week, 48 years old, successful, financially secure, having it all. And in her own words, she wrote, and now think about this, love and faith are my two favorite words. You know, those are pretty favorite words among us, no doubt. I carry them strongly in my heart, which I desperately need to get through this incredible difficult year. She wrote that at the beginning of this year. Life seemed unbearable at times, but I adapted an attitude of the female warrior to face them head on, fearlessly. Listen, strength, courage, and bravery is within all of us, 
and we need to use them. She later added, I'm happy to say I'm finally living the real me. It's the best feeling, and I'm grateful every day to be alive. I get to share my thoughts with you, but listen, my dear friends, be you, live you, remember there's only one of you, and it's worth living, one of a kind. This is the world. She was trying desperately to save herself. And she had people coming alongside her saying, listen, you just need to know and believe that you're enough. You're worth it. The truth is, in our humanity, the deepest part of our soul, we know something's terribly wrong with us. And if we're looking to ourselves, even as a believer, to somehow do this and make this right, those trials in your life somehow grit through because you're the warrior and you can do this, that's not the answer. Christ said on that cross, it is finished. Who will we look to? We aren't enough. And I'm not saying that depression isn't real. And I'm not saying even believers who struggle with it. The question is in those moments, are we looking to something other than him to be our foundation? Who are we looking for strength? You see, this is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why the gospel is great news. And as simple as it is, the theological foundations of every aspect of what makes the gospel, the gospel is central to every aspect of us living it. There is a God. I'm not him. The call for justice when we see wrong in the world is the same one that condemns our wrong in our own lives. But he made it right. He's going to make it right. And thank the Lord, he doesn't call me to stand for what I've done wrong. And that this isn't all there is. There is life. You know, humanity is looking for the Holy Grail. They want to live forever. They want to live forever here. <laughs> this is a terrible place to live forever. But this is all they have. God says, listen, you are and you will be with me and it's better than this. And there's a purpose. There's a purpose to this. Unfortunately, though, even as we realize that God has secured forever for us in Christ, the bad news does come first. You see, if we run from the bad news, if we're looking for ways to cover it, to numb it, to find our outlets so we can ignore it, then we're fooling ourselves because inevitably, inevitably that moment comes. And so Jesus speaks about this issue of hell many, many times. And so as we look at John, we realize that as he begins, and if you just walk with me, we're going to start in verse 5. Just take your Bibles as we look in John chapter 3, starting in verse 5. He's talking to Nicodemus here, a leader in Israel, a teacher in Israel, a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, a man of esteem and power and wealth. And it's interesting, he doesn't even ask Jesus a question. They sit down and right away Jesus just starts telling it to him. If you're looking for an example of evangelism, this might be it. You know they're searching, you're just going to tell it to them. Jesus did this with him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 5, unless you are one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So if we're looking at what does this consequence look like, you're like, oh, well, not in the kingdom of God. Maybe that's not so bad. The world says hell's where the fun is. Very wrong, by the way, but that's what they say. Well, if you jump down to verses 15 and 16, you see that even in verse 16, he says, he who believes in him should not perish. That means eternal ruin. 
You might say, well, I don't know if it's that bad. I kind of feel ruined now. We keep reading, verse 18. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Now we're starting to talk about a sentence. We're talking about a consequence, a punitive reality because of what we have done, what we have not done. And notice what it says. You're condemned already because you have not believed. You have not believed. Listen, if you go to hell, it's not because you were sent there without a choice. The reality is you end up there because you have refused to humble your heart before a holy God and say, you are right and I am wrong and only you can fix it. Will you forgive me? Will you, will you help me? Will you save me? If you jump all the way down to verse 36 as John the Baptist gives an answer to those that are questioning him, he reminds us whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him, and I might add, forever. You know, it's not about just missing out on something big. It's not about just somehow not being great. There's a punitive consequence, and it's defined by the very wrath of God poured out on you. Listen, Christ gave his life for you. Hebrews tells us, that if under the law a man were to be put to death because of his crimes, what greater, think about this, greater than death, what greater punishment would one be worthy of for those that have taken lightly the sacrifice, the blood of the very Son of God that was spilt to redeem and pay for that sin? Truly, this is a fate worse than death. This is the reality whether you believe it or not, Matthew chapter 25, you don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 25, this image, this picture of what that will be like is seen in verses 41 through 46 where he says to those on his left, those that have not come to him through this forgiveness, depart from me, you curse. These are terrible words. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. These will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous, not by work or act, but by faith in Christ alone, they will go into eternal life. Listen, one of the reasons why the gospel is such great news is because it starts out so bad. And this isn't a made-up fairy tale. This isn't goblins. This isn't these scary things that are made up in fairy tales. This is the truth. This is reality. Listen, I know we've probably heard this, but if you're not a believer here today, this is as good as it gets, and this is pretty bad, this place that we're in. And you've probably heard this today too. If, if you are a believer today, this is the only hell we'll know. But it's not as bad as hell, and it certainly has a purpose, and so I'm not really fond of that saying. <laughs> but I hope it's encouraging to know it's so much better than this. And you see, that's where we see the real love. And, and the world would like to just emphasize this. God is love. He accepts anybody and everybody. And that's true through repentance, humble hearts, seeking forgiveness. But real love. Now listen, when we observe the Lord's table, the elements that symbolize the shedding of his blood 
and the breaking of his body for us. I want to ask, what king would do that? What ruler would do that, much less any of the gods that supposedly exist in all the other options that are out there? Give of his own life. Take of that punishment and bear our sins in him. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Not just innocent, not just somehow not wrong, but the fullness of the goodness and the greatness of his righteousness is what God sees when he sees us. It's crazy. Do we live in that? Talk about a hope that's within you. Give an answer for the hope that is within you. Listen, i got to be reminded every day that this is my hope. And when anything else assails that from inside or outside, I come back to the reality, John three sixteen. He's finished it. And he's given to you eternal life. This is a great love. John 14, he begins this up with the picture of Moses lifting up that bronze serpent in the wilderness. It's a great picture. I tell you what, this in and of itself would be a message. We don't have time for that. But this picture of the importance just as Moses lifted up that servant, I'm sorry, that serpent, so too must the Son of Man, that's Christ, be lifted up so that everybody, anyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This was necessary before we ever sinned. He reckoned himself to bear that sin in himself. Listen, we don't have the fullness of even an aspect of the greatness of the love of God for us. You read Ephesians chapter 1. It's in your notes. I'd ask you to read it later. But all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, this is what he's given to us. What a great love that we would be called the children of God. It's unthinkable. Would you turn to Romans chapter 5 with me? I love this passage. I, I just hope and pray that each of these passages be encouraging to you. Places that you could turn to even in those moments where you, you are struggling or wondering. Or you're just saying, I'm having a great day. I want to read something that makes it even better. These are wonderful places. Romans chapter 5. Would you just bear with me as we read through this? Because it's so important, all of it. Since then, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we, have, which we stand. So we have access, and then notice what it goes on to say, and we rejoice in the hope of glory, in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Listen, if we're not here looking to the glory and our hope and the glory of God, we will not be rejoicing in our sufferings. They're connected. And so with this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that God is at work in this. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. There's things that have been left in your life that is a part of what God is doing in your life and part of what God is doing through your life as you stand and you don't understand, but God is working in the lives of those around you as they see you hold on to what you have confessed to be true. God is at work in every way beyond what we know or even understand Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, 
Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And what a wonderful truth. Listen to this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And if you think about the greatness of that gift, he goes on. One would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows or demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. What did he get with his death? Not something special. Not something of great value except for the value that he placed on it and he redeemed and made it to be. You know, it's so great to know I don't have to somehow be enough to be worthy of God's love. As hard as we try in the depths of our heart, we know it's never going to be enough. But instead we surrender to a loving, compassionate God and we realize he chose to do this and understand the greatness of that sacrifice that he chose to pay on our behalf. Listen, salt and light is different. We can sit and preach and we can sit and think about being different and then go out and be no different. When our, our hearts and our lives are rooted and grounded in the truth and the knowledge of this great love, of this great responsibility to respond to that love, we are different. How does believing in Christ change me? This is a huge part of that. This is a huge part of that as we look to him and look to live it out, which brings us to the real choice. You see, because we can declare all of these things, but knowing it isn't enough. If you are not a true believer in Christ today, you can even agree that there's a God. James says that the demons tremble. They know him and they tremble. It does no good. It's not about knowledge. It's about acceptance. It's about belief. It's about a choice to commit. There's pride in our heart that keeps us sometimes, even as believers, from just getting things right. So as we look at John 3, 14 through 16, you notice there's belief, belief, belief over and over again. A number of weeks ago, as I started really getting some of this stuff together, I put in my notes, what is belief? And after some time working on it, I got to say, it's way bigger than we have time to share this morning, okay? So we're going to share what we can. Hopefully, it'll be helpful. Um, but this is truly amazing, this aspect of belief. Because it says, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. John 3, 15 and 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. You know, maybe as a believer, you've thought to yourself, have I believed enough? Am I really saved? You hear me teach like this. And maybe yourself, you wonder, boy, I hope I'm there. Now, it's not wrong to question. It's not wrong. In fact, Scripture challenges us. Are you truly a, a child of God? What are you trusting in? Who are you looking to? Not to confound our belief, but to reinforce it and to challenge maybe those that realize, you know, this has been up here, but I've never really submitted my heart. I've never truly asked him for that. Oh, I sure hope you make that choice today if that's you. See, the truth is, is that Nicodemus did not accept Christ's teaching. In fact, if you look at this in verse 12, he says, listen, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I tell you earth or heavenly things? The implication is, and believe anything. Belief. As we think about 
some of the implications of John 3.16, there's some big highlights. Obviously, anyone can come. Anyone who comes will be accepted. Anyone can believe any ethnicities, any backgrounds, any sins, any struggles. Doesn't matter who you are. All are equal before the cross by faith. That's, that's absolutely true. But what does this mean to believe? And so it's really encouraging. I hope this is encouraging to you to know how beautiful Scripture is. Old Testament, New Testament. It is amazing to dig into what it truly has to say to us and realize how beautiful. And only these languages, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek, and how Christ uses specific words in this context to drive home a point. Even the Nicodemus with that Hebrew Jewish background. And so as we look at what believe means, whoever believes in him, it's a participle. And I don't want to get into English class. I ran this past my wife, so it's not like, you know, too tedious or boring. So I apologize if it is in advance. But it's a participle. It's this verbal noun. It's used as a substantive, used as an adjective. What does that mean? So I'm a preacher. Why? That's what I do. Well, God called us to this, but this is what you do. You're a driver. Not because you have a driver's license, but because you regularly drive, right? Oh, they're no longer a driver. Oh, okay. Participle. What you are, who you are, what you do, defining who and what we are. And that's from the beginning when we first decide that I'm going to place my faith in Christ. And even as Peter mentioned last week, said, where are we to go? You have the words of life. It's a continual thing. And so even he says, those that are believers... Those that believe will have eternal life. It's a definition of their lifestyle, their structure of who they are, their heartbeat. And so this, this word over and over and over again we see in this context in Greek is echoed by a very interesting word in Hebrew. In fact, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated at one point into Greek, the Septuagint. And the same word that we see here as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus is used over and over and over again in the Septuagint. But for a Hebrew word, you're probably really familiar with. Amen. And we say it when we pray. We probably don't realize it or think about the implications of it. You maybe have heard that it means let it be so. Let it be so. Well, yes, that, that's, that's part of it. The beauty of Hebrew, though, is that it's so dynamic. You know, there's this whole spectrum of meaning around these words and how it's used in different ways connect to the aspects of the meaning and the implications of it in the context, which makes actually translation kind of difficult sometimes, but it's a beautiful language. And when you realize what he's saying here, and as we look at this, there's some passages you can walk with me through this, try not to be too tedious. We see this connection of amen in Hebrew, amet, and at the end of it, Literally, in my notes, I just wrote down amazing, so I shared it with you. It's truly amazing what God has to say here. See, as we look at this, as we look all the way back in Exodus 14.31, we have this statement, this, 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 this reality that's echoed in Deuteronomy, that's tied all the way through this Hebrew idea of belief. And so in Hebrew... The, the participle talks about being trustworthy, faithful, true. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, we hear that God is faithful. He is amen. He is defined by faithfulness, worthy of your trust. He is the one who keeps covenant with all those that love him and his commandments. 
those who observe the oath with which he swore to his fathers. You can trust him in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. He's trustworthy. And in Exodus chapter 14, as we just walk through these passages, we see that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so the people feared the Lord. This is that action. They saw all of this and they're like, whoa, this is the real deal. So that was their action. They feared the Lord. And then it says they believed. They amen. They amen. They chose to trust him. They chose to place their faith in him, in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now what's interesting here is that this is a different form. And not to get too tedious, but it's that they caused themselves to do this. In other words, they saw and they said, wow, this is, this is their response. This was their action to the great deeds. This is the real deal. And they chose, we're going to trust this one. We're going to believe that he has this. Now you might say, I know how that turned out. It wasn't so pretty with them. Yeah, us too, sadly, sometimes. But what's interesting is this is the same word. He is worthy of this. And there's a choice needed for us to respond to that. What's interesting is that in the New Testament, you have this believe in him, that in him, that little thing, in him, it's echoed here in the Old Testament. It's echoed here, and I won't give you the, 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 the very dry stuff, but it gives emphasis to this total attitude of faith, not just in the moment, but in that person, in God himself. And what's something we can sometimes miss in all of this is this isn't just that, oh, well, I believe there's going to be a Thanksgiving uh, banquet here in the fall. This kind of just whatever thing. But this is about a person and relationship. And so just as you see this tie, any who believes in him in the New Testament, you see even here with that little inclusion of in him. They believed in the Lord and in, in his servant Moses. In other words, who they were what their ability was, what their commitments were. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 45, we see Jacob, when he saw or was told that Joseph was still alive, it says his heart became numb because he did not believe them. He did not amen them. They were not trustworthy. It had been so long he said, no, I don't know if I, can, I can't trust this news. It, the implications of it are too great. How is it this son that I have mourned for so long and finally come to the place where I'm okay with him being what he is, though I'm not, turn upside down? No, I, I refuse to believe that. Listen, there are some, that's their response to the gospel. I cannot believe in a God that would let that person into his kingdom. I can't believe in a God who wouldn't let someone I know that's really amazing, maybe a family member, I can't accept the fact that they may not be there with me. Listen, this word amen, 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 used over and over and over. And I love Isaiah 53. Who has amen? Who has believed what he has heard from us? What is the response to what he has heard from the Lord? 
It's a choice. And it's always driven by relationship to the person. You see, when I reject what God says, when I say, don't worry, God, I've got this, it's a response to who he is. God is trustworthy. God is amen. Therefore, we amen him. Joshua 24, verse 14 is the command. We talked about this a number of weeks ago. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. This is Ahmet. So the expectation here is, listen, God is faithful and trustworthy. Believe in him, obey him, and place your amen in him. Trust him. And then walk in faithfulness, in belief, in trustworthiness yourself. That's Ahmet. Faithfulness, being true. You might say, oh, how do I believe? How do I trust? We have a choice to make. Who will we rely on? Who will we look to? And of course, ultimately, it comes back to Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all you are. Chosen devotion every day. We have to choose who we're going to trust and rest in, who we're going to listen to, who we're going to live in light of. The world, our hearts, the Lord. Think of Isaiah 7, 9. This is really great. It connects it all together. Just bear with me one more. It connects it all together, this, this expectation of belief. Amen. If you are not, Isaiah 7, 9, if you are not firm in the faith, amen. That's this, it's a hifil, don't worry about it, but it's this intensive kind of thing. The difference is a simple action would be like to be great. The intensive would be to magnify. The simple action would be to be king. The intensive would be to make king. So if you see that there, firm in the faith, that's the way to translate this. But the reality is if you are not committed to believing if you are not determined to trust, if you are not looking to amen in your life, he goes on, you will not be amen at all. You will not be firm at all. And what's interesting, this is another form of Hebrew, nephal, it's reflexive. In other words, you yourself will not be this. You yourself will not be established. You yourself will not be faithful. You yourself will not be firm or trustworthy. Now, the reason why Isaiah ties this all together is because it's really connected to our conversation this morning. How does believing change my life? It's because I choose to. I choose to because God has shown himself to be worthy of my trust. Exodus, Deuteronomy. He has given his life. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he didn't withhold his own son from us. He gave him up for us. And yet at the same time, I challenge him as if he doesn't have all things. He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for us, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Think about that. When I look to that sacrifice, I say, God's got this. I don't know how. I don't know when. But he's got me, and he's got this, and I trust him for it. That's a choice. I'm choosing to be established in determining, I'm sorry, determined in resting in him. This is why amen, amet is so amazing. And listen, there's so much more than that. 
just, a, just a sharing a little bit. You know why this is crazy? I love this. You looked at John chapter 3, and you see Jesus say, truly, truly. You know what that word is? Amen. Truly, truly, as certain as it is, you can trust me, this is trustworthy. Amen, amen. And he gives them the gospel. This must be This has to be, and if you don't trust me in this, if you don't look to the Son of Man, you will perish. Get this right. He was talking to a Jewish teacher. And listen, we could have spent so much more time on this. I wish we had the time to do that. But he's saying this to us, even as believers. Truly, truly, trust me. Truly, truly, rest in me. And he goes on. And the truth is, everyone who believes is defined by this continual reality in our life. Is that you today? You might say, that's me every day. I don't get through a day without that. Yeah, I'd be with you on that. But sometimes we get distracted. We need these reminders. And so that's why as we look to do this day after day after day, when you are struggling in those moments of weakness and trial, and they are a work in us, perseverance and character and hope, We live it right now. You know, sometimes as believers, we walk as if eternal life is just down the road somewhere. You know, I got that covered, that whole eternity in heaven thing. The reality is that impacts us right now. Eternal life starts now, tomorrow, the next day, forever. It's so important for us to remember that when he speaks of eternal life, this isn't something down the road. It's not something that we can lose. And this is that tension that we have in our life because it's already secured for us. Does that mean we can live any way we want? No. And how can we when we realize the greatness of this sacrifice? When you realize that our own disobedience are the very things that he paid for on that cross, if you love him, it causes your heart to hurt. As his spirit calls to your own heart, it says, why are you doing that? What are you doing? How are you doing? I hope and pray that it's encouragement to us. It's not something we'd use as a license in our life. Being born again. We don't have the time to track that through all of this. But if you look to John 3, 3 through 8, you see this expectation of birth. And with eternal life, there is no death. It's not something you lose. No, he gave us life in Christ. And if you would turn just one more time, 1 John chapter 5, as we come to the last part of this. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This is to bestow, this is to grant. He gave us eternal life. And this life in his son, whoever has this. Now, this is, again, another participle. This is something that defines who you are. You have this. You possess this. Whoever has the son has life. Presently has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe. Again, another participle. This is what defines us in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, 
These are the conditions. If you're ever asking yourself, I don't know if I believe enough, all you do is you humble your heart to him and say, I believe. Help my unbelief. I choose you. I trust you. I ask you to help me even in this moment. If there's anything that is different in my heart, please show me. See, often that's the real struggle is that humility. We somehow still want to tell ourselves we're okay without having to humble ourselves to be okay. We get that humble part right, and you choose to place that faith and trust in what he says and take him at his word, then you're right where you need to be, committed to walk with him. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verse 9. Truly, this is the only hell we will ever know as believers. The eye has not seen and the ear has not heard nor the heart of man, even if we were to talk about the great things that lay ahead, the heart of man has not imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. You know, the heart of it is just turning to that love. And reality is, as we live that out, we see the hope that's rooted in that John three sixteen gospel. And again, I give this to you that you might be able to share with others. I hope it's an easy place for you to turn to share with others. And the reality is, as you hand that out to, to people, as you share that with people, you'll see very clearly those that will recoil away from that. And it says in John three nineteen through 21, that those that do wicked things, they hate the light. They refuse to believe They refuse because of the implications and the consequences because if I choose to humble myself, then all of this and all of that, I've seen this on the face of many as sadly have shared the gospel with them. I hope and pray there's none here that have the hardness of heart that won't humble yourself this morning if you haven't already. If you're those that are sharing this already with with children, with grandchildren, with neighbors, with friends, with coworkers, then you say, They're just so blind to the truth. Listen, keep praying for them. The God who shone light in our hearts has to do the same in theirs. Be faithful to share, but pray. Believing in Christ changes my life, changes everything about my life. And this morning, as we look even to the Lord's table, just like the water, it's just water, It's just crackers, it's just juice. It means absolutely nothing apart from what it shows, what it signifies, what it reminds us of. The true death and sacrifice of our Savior for us in our place. And so this morning, listen, if you aren't where you need to be, it is so important for you in your own heart to get things straight with the Lord and not just think that this is another way to somehow get right with Him. No, humility and repentance And faith is how we get right with him. I hope you'll you'll turn your heart there and not think that this is an easy fix. Listen, but for those of us that are looking to live, looking to trust, this is a great reminder of his goodness and his blessing for us. And of course, it's a great reminder of his coming because we celebrate his death And that gospel and that hope that we have until he comes. And listen, he is coming. 
And we will stand before him. And what a day, what a wonderful day that will be. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. Even as Jared mentioned all these aspects of how you bless us, but Lord, we're also humbled because we bring really nothing but our humble heart. We ask you to somehow work in us that our faith, our trust, our belief would continue to grow to your glory. Are amazed at how, how you choose to be glorified somehow blesses and strengthens and, and just continues to be the very best in our life. I pray you'd help us as we look to live that out. We thank you for the opportunity to give to you. We pray for this offering being collected for, for those needs in this body. Lord, I pray those that receive of this would know it's truly of your love flowing through our love that they may know yours more clearly. And Lord, that you would bless it. Give the wisdom to the deacons needed to, to distribute it. And ultimately, Lord, that we'd honor you the rest of even today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.